This is Fran Bluegal from the Professional Left Podcast for the fabulous blog, Crooks and Liars, and I'm here with comedian John Fugelsang. Hey, John. Hi, Fran. Thanks hey. for having me. Uh, you have toured with the Sexy Liberal Comedy Show, and uh, my husband and I had a great time in Chicago last year seeing you. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, it was a wonderful show. I highly recommend it to all the CNLers out there listening. It's a really great show. We had a good time. And now you have a new project that is uh, about your parents and their rather unusual courtship. Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of, a, I guess, in a way, a 180 from the Sexy Liberal Tour. <laughs> um, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, that, that's the tour that I'm, I'm doing with Stephanie Miller and, and Hal Sparks and Aisha Tyler on some dates, and, and that began a year ago just as a way of having, uh, you know, we, we thought, why don't we just bring this political comedy tour on the road? No one's ever done a, a progressive-themed tour with three headliners, and uh, Stephanie has such a great radio audience, so, you know, it, it started off very low-key, and, and no one really thought it would amount to much, and then it wound up becoming quite successful, and, uh, you know, we had Aretha Franklin coming to our shows, we had Rob Reiner and Lily Tomlin joining us on stage at shows, and congressmen coming on stage, and uh, we released an album, and it went to number one on, on all three charts, uh, on Billboard, Amazon, and, and, uh, and uh, iTunes comedy charts, and, and then it got so big, I decided to bring out this little tiny piece of off-Broadway solo theater that I did right. uh, a couple of seasons ago, um, <clears throat> which, was, uh, which is kind of kind of funny to be touring two very, very different shows at the same time, but uh, the show I'm touring now is called Guilt, A Love Story. Uh, it ran off Broadway. I originally developed it um, when I was an artist in residence at Dartmouth University, and uh, my director, Pam McKinnon, just got a Tony nomination last month for the play Clyburn Park. So, Congratulations um, to her. That's great. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it's, it's really different, because I've been doing all this political stand-up uh, for such a long time. While this is definitely a comedy, it is a funny show, but it's also uh, sort of a tragicomic uh, uh, family drama, um, as well as a... a kind of pointed religious critique um it, it tells the story of my parents my mother is an ex-nun and my father is an ex-franciscan brother and uh i could never afford the therapy i needed so i turned <laughs> to a life of comedy and um it, it sort of uh, uses guilt as a as a jumping off point to talk about family relationships and uh and religious relationships and how very often you think you've dropped your parents programming but it's still very much a part of your life and uh the whole show begins uh, 3,000 years ago uh, with the story of Onan, which I think is the origin of, of religious shame over sex. And uh, it goes through um, m my mother being a, a nurse uh, nun in Africa for lepers, and uh, the time I was on Bill Maher's show with David Duke and offered him hot gay sex if he would stop. <laughs> and, uh, a, a nightmare with a, a nightmare drug bust story in Florida right after 9-11. Uh, involving medical pot, and um, so it's it's sort of a show about uh, good faith and bad behavior. And did and, your uh, parents have to actually leave the convent and the abbey in order to? Were they both involved in that at the time that they met? Uh, yes, they were. Oh, wow. Um, the, uh, the my father was um, working as a Franciscan brother, and he taught history to Catholic boys in Brooklyn. Um, my mom was a, a nun nurse from the south. And they transferred her briefly to, to Brooklyn, where my parents met at Holy Family Hospital. My dad had sworn that he would never fall in love, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the celibacy vow. Uh, the show does go into the fact that that's not at all biblical, and it was made up in 1139 A.D., mm -hmm. uh, or implemented, rather. Um, I consider married priests to be the conservative point of view. Right, um, right. 
But uh, he fell madly in love and couldn't tell her, so he carried a torch in secret for 10 years while she was sent off to work with lepers in the jungles of Malawi. Wow. Yeah. And how did they how did they how did they get back together and find each other after that? If she had well, been Well, that's sort of the plot of that's it's, it's sort of the plot of the show, but oh. uh, you know, he did eventually, you know, it was it was a very long and complicated story of how he he kind of just carried a torch for 10 years and the steps he took uh to eventually let her know and the signals that she was able to pick up and realize, you know, and the whole time they're in this religion that has no right to ban people in the clergy from being married, in my opinion, on a mm-hmm. historical level. The first pope, St. Peter, was married, as I'm sure you know. And uh, yeah. so it, 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 is a, it is a family story while it's also a critique of, of, of religion. And it, it, it begins with the night that the doctors told my father he had a few weeks to live. And my mother pulled the greatest act of Catholic or parental guilt in history when she asked me if I would marry my girlfriend to give my father something to stay alive for. Wow. <laughs> Set a date for a wedding. And we were committed bohemians, and uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, so. It, so the show sort of begins with the greatest act of, of guilt ever, and it extrapolates in all directions. Wow! Well, I watched uh, the slideshow that you put together for Twitter that this show is based on. Is that right? Uh, yes, partially. Yeah. yeah, and and that there's a wonderful slide in there that um, your mother's sister. Uh, told her that that she shouldn't delay the wedding because it's going to be a scandal anyway so why wait well yeah my my mom left the convent finally in june and they were married in august two Mm -hmm. months later Mm -hmm. uh and you know in a lot of a lot of catholic families if you have a a a cousin or an uncle or an aunt or a a nephew in in the priesthood or in the convent you have a get out of hell free card yeah so it was rather stressful for many people to have you know not just my parents leaving the clergy but the fact that they were leaving the clergy and marrying right away. And uh, it's a great credit to both my Southern and my Brooklyn families that while there were a few holdouts who protested, uh, the overwhelming majority of the families came together and completely supported the two of them doing it. They, they really felt that the same love that had called them to a life of service in the clergy was the exact same love that called them to quit their their life of cloth and and become husband and wife and and were you raised that way that about being a liberal that uh, sort of being well, a, it's going to be a scandal anyway so why wait you're 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 well, yeah. very out as a liberal and I and so, I yeah. I like that about you I I try to live that way myself as much as I can within my church and I'm just interested about sort of coming out as liberals when we can do that when we make the choice to do that it's going to be a scandal anyway so why wait do you live your life that way or do you think your parents taught you to live your life that way oh well it's interesting uh, that's a great question um that's a great question you know my parents were very uh and a lot of your liberal listeners will relate to this they were very conservative liberals um mm-hmm. they didn't want us to be republicans but they dressed us like them <laughs> and uh you know, my class picture looks like 27 Little Almond Brothers and Buddy Holly's inbred cousin and a mm-hmm. bow, clip-on bow tie and Clark Kent glasses and buzz cut in the corner. Uh, they, they, uh, oh, Lord, I mean, I, I think you're right. When I was very small, my dad pulled me out of bed late one night to watch Jimmy Carter sign the Camp David Peace Accord between Israel and Egypt. I didn't know who Menachem Begin or Anwar Sadat was. I was very little. I knew who the president was. Um, but I knew that it meant a lot to my father. Yeah. And he couldn't believe that an American Christian president had helped bring peace to one corner of the Middle East, and he wanted his kid there to, to witness a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jew embracing in peace and brotherhood. And, 
And uh, I thought it was cool because Moshe Diane had an eye patch. You know that. that was, <laughs> um, but my my dad thought that was everything that America and Christianity could and should be. And uh, so that was kind of my model. It wasn't so much what I saw on the screen. It was the joy and the love I saw in my father's face that you know American diplomacy uh, from a liberal evangelical had brought an end to bloodshed between Israel and Egypt. And that hit me pretty hard as a kid. And as I grew older, I, I was a very good Catholic, but once I finally sort of started pulling away from the church after college, I got really into theology and really into learning more about who Jesus was historically and focusing on his teachings a lot more than the magic tricks. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And to me, that was a real awakening when I realized that, you know, the teachings of Christ are extremely liberal, uh, more liberal than any of us could ever hope to measure up to. And that's sort of the ethos, in my opinion, behind the Franciscan order my dad belonged to, mm-hmm. and behind a lot of my dad's political beliefs. He was never a he was never a Democrat, never belonged to a party. But there were pictures of Jesus, Gandhi, and Dr. King all over the house. Mm-hmm. And that ethos. So you were raised yeah. in that environment, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and again, he was a conservative guy. My dad, he, his fashion taste stayed in the fifties from when he went into the brothers. And and uh, you know, he was a principal, and he could be very stern, but. Um, those were his heroes, and, and it was Jesus, Gandhi, Dr. King, Ronald Reagan, and the Pope are clowns, and that's how we were raised. Well, it's easy for all of us to forget even recent history, but you have a very special place in this election cycle for Crooks and Liars readers, and that <laughs> is that you were the guy who interviewed Romney Communications Director Eric Fernstrom when that's he right. said Romney would shake the Etch-A-Sketch for the general election. Now, did you know when you asked him that question, you asked him a bland question, I think, as I recall. Just, well, I just a, straight, it, a straight question. I, it wasn't a comedian's question. I, I tried to make it bland. I really did. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I do Soledad O'Brien's uh, a very good morning show on CNN, um, Starting Point, and I'm, uh, I'm a regular on there often when I'm actually in New York for more than two days at a time. I kind of live on the road. And uh, so I was on one morning, and Eric Fernstrom uh, was on, the communications director. And to my astonishment, Soledad nodded to me that I could ask him a question. And I thought, you're letting the clown ask a question? Like, you have all these journalists and pundits on your panel. I'm a comedian. But I thought, great, you know, this guy's been Romney's right-hand man for many years. And uh, I, I said to him, you, you know, the one thing I, I hadn't heard, this was during the the really rough end of the winter period of the Republican presidential race, Gingrich and Santorum. Mm-hmm. And you'll recall back in like March, everyone was saying, oh, is Mitt Romney really a conservative? Is he really conservative? Is he conservative enough? And Mitt was boasting that he was severely conservative and running away from everything good in his record he ever did that helped people, like earmarks for the Olympics or a sustainable health care plan. Um, and so I, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of rubbish. No one's ever asked him if he's too conservative. And yeah. that was what I wanted to ask. And I hadn't heard any media say that. All the media was just playing along with this game. So I thought, how do I ask, are you too conservative in the most polite way possible? Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, with, with uh, he's, John McCain was considerably a, a more moderate opponent for Governor Romney. With all the pressure from Santorum and Gingrich, as, as the governor had to tack so far to the right, he'll have a hard time reaching out to independents in a general election. Which is my way of saying, is your guy too conservative? Mm-hmm. And I tried to phrase it in the most bland, journalistic way possible. Right. And uh, I, I would have thought that Mr. Fernstrom was more prepared for a question like this, but I guess I guess I don't know. Um, and and he didn't say Mitch shakes the etch sketch. What he, he said was, oh no, he said the general is like a, hitting a reset button. You know, it's like an etch sketch. And I thought, wow. Well, at least he admits it. 
At least yeah. he admits that it's going to be a whole different brand of Mitt Romney come the campaign. But did you know that that would go as viral as it did? No, Fran, I sure really? didn't. In fact, I thought nothing of it. I wasn't able to ask a follow-up question. And an hour or so later, I, I get in the car to go back downtown to where I live, and I look on my phone at Twitter, and Etch-A-Sketch is the number one trending topic in America. Wow. And by the time I got home and had breakfast, uh, both Gingrich and Santorum had been photographed holding up Etch-A-Sketches. And um, by that night, that little clip was on every news channel. I was getting phone calls from Europe. And uh, I had just had a baby, so I'd been up all night like, with a crying baby, and it was the worst I've ever looked in my life. And suddenly it was the most uh, iconic TV moment of my uh, of my Of your journalist career. career, right. I know, right? right. I and all the, all the news media reporting out of CNN newsman, Fugel's saying, and I'm like, no, no, I'm a professional. <laughs> I'm, I'm the poor jester. That's all I am, really. So it was a rather surreal experience. I still get hate mail from right-wingers, and I still have people asking me to sign it to sketches at every show I do. Oh, that's funny. That's great. Well, now, so you're doing the liberal comedy show, the li- sexy liberal comedy show, mm-hmm. and you're doing the guilt a love story show. Where is that going to be next? Where uh, are, where are you headed? Guilt a love story, our, our next show will be on uh, June 16th in Minneapolis. And I, I love Minneapolis. I got to headline the Blue State Ball there with Ed Schultz uh, earlier this year and Bill Press, and that was great. We just did Sexy Liberal there with Aisha Tyler last month. We'll be at the Pantages Theater uh, for a Father's Day special. It is a show about fathers, God knows. So it's uh, that's going to be on the 16th at 8 p.m., and um, the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour will next be performed uh, with Stephanie and Aisha Tyler and me at the Wilbur Theater in Boston on uh, the, 8th of, of, uh, the 8th of June, and tickets for that are selling out fast. Well, that's great. And I understand you're going to be on Current TV this month also. Is that right? Oh, Lord, I, I certainly am. Um, someone, uh, I guess, opened up the Rolodex. And In your it. spare time, you're going to yeah, be on well, Current TV. I, I, it's funny because I'm launching a third tour uh, this summer, but um, I'm going to be guest hosting in the month of June. Uh, I will hopefully still be on CNN, but you'll also see me filling in for Governor Jennifer Granholm on the War Room for a week and then filling in for Governor Elliot Spitzer on, on uh, Viewpoint for a week, and then filling in guest hosting for Stephanie Miller on her show in the mornings for a week. So I'll have three weeks in a row being quality scab labor for the folks at Current TV. Uh, what, what is the other show that you're going to be doing? The Politics, Sex, and Religion Tour, which is oh, right. everything you're not allowed to talk about with your family. And uh, that show is going to launch on, uh, on uh, the 6th, I believe, of July, or on the 7th of July uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Is that a solo show? No, that's myself and Hal Sparks. Oh, great. And, uh, it's going to be very political, uh, very much about religion, very much about sex. Um, don't bring your parents to this one. Bring your parents to the Guilt of Love story. Don't take your parents to the politics, sex, religion tour. Well, I'm a big fan of Hal Sparks also, and, and neither one of you, I think, is going to sugarcoat it on Oh, on no, no, show. he's great. He's a brilliant <laughs> guy. It's, it's really a pleasure, you know, to go out and play some beautiful theaters. We're not doing this tour in comedy clubs. We, we're doing all of our tours in, in theaters and performing arts centers. And to be with people like Sparks or Stephanie Miller or Aisha Tyler, who are so comedically sharp, so intellectually uh, brilliant, and, and really just some smart, moral people who are using their talents and entertainment skills to advance some pretty worthy, progressive causes. It's, it's a pretty inspiring way to, to be. Well, we're so glad that you joined us at Crooks and Liars, and thank you. For your time. I'm really honored. You know, when I heard about your background, I was rather intimidated because I, I wanted to uh, appear spiritually correct and, uh, and to seem like I knew my I knew my Bible when I go talk in tabernacles. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to worry about that with me, but I'm really 
proud to have been able to interview you and talk to you about your your projects and uh, thank you looking looking forward to all of the shows that you're going to be doing this summer. Thanks, Fran. It really is a pleasure to, to talk to someone else uh, who is versed in, uh, in, in, you know, liberal theology and, and progressive Christianity. Well, we can't hide anymore. It's, no, that, no. That's the problem. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like, uh, liberals have to take the flag back from the creeps, but we really have to take the Bible back from the hypocrites. There's no bigger liberal in history or literature, whatever you believe, than Jesus. And uh, I'm really tired of the right wing acting like he's their mascot on the sidelines with pom-poms. You know, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you can't let the right wing use the most progressive social activist of all time, uh, and the most famous death penalty victim of all time, and you can't let them use him to advance a creepy right-wing agenda. So it's, it's an honor to, to talk to you. And, uh, to which I can only say amen. Yes, and thank, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. I'll see you soon.